Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, and welcome. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John and my good friend Joe Doman here. We got a, a really interesting little podcast for you today. So interesting. Super so interesting. So excited. So exciting. I am uh, timing it. I don't want to yeah, it worked again. really well last time. This will go shorter because I'm not blobbing on about something theologically. But, you know, Joe, a lot of times people ask me, they're like, Father John, you're kind of a weird priest. You're not really normal. And as I always say to them, I am the son of a West Point grad and a sorority girl. That's right. And that basically sums up everything. So most days it feels like I got a lot more of the sorority girl than I got That's true. the West Point grad. You're always having a lot of fun and you're also organizing other people to get done things that you want that to is done. right the, hearkening back to our temperaments podcast <laughs> that's right but um my beloved west point father oh this is probably three weeks ago i was um in one of my typical diatribes complaining about my life about how hard and horrible everything is of course you know because it just is and no one understands how difficult it is for us cholerics this is the sorority girl oh sorry <laughs> this is really sad <laughs> i didn't know that pizza had so many calories something like that the um but he, uh, instead of, like, calling me out on it, he did something different. He just said, that's okay, honey. No, he clipped out. My mom said, that's okay, honey. <laughs> my mom was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And my dad just clips out an article from the Denver Catholic Register. And on it writes, John, thought you would enjoy this article. Wow. And we think about our hardships as really <laughs> suffering. Love, dad. It's awesome. It's and, so like your dad. It is so like my dad. And so the article... Um, is on a priest chaplain from the uh, Korean War in the 50s whose um, cause has been opened for canonization. Hmm. His name is Father Emil Capon. Capon. I think that's how you pronounce it. Hopefully. And uh, Father Emil Capon is from Pilsen, Kansas. Not to be confused with Pilsen, Czech Republic. Which is where Pilsen comes from. Which is where my people come from. <laughs> so I feel a very akin to this man. Our right. sufferings are so similar. Yeah, right. Was he Czech? He was Czech. His parents were from the Czech Republic. Oh, cool. And uh, But he spoke Czech. And um, so good old Czech boy. I first learned about him last fall. No, a year ago last fall. Because one of my marriage prep couples here, Chris Schneider and Kylie Klenda, now mm-hmm. Chris and Kylie Schneider, who sadly moved away. Um, they're in Kansas now. I don't think they listen to the podcast, but they might listen to this one. But they were talking about, um, she was telling me about this amazingly heroic priest, chaplain. This was two years ago. Um, who is from her small town, Pilsen, mm-hmm. Kansas. Pilsen, Kansas. So Kylie's parents, grandparents, I think her grandparents were baptized by him. Um, this was his last little parish. Oh, Just so he was a parish priest before parish he was priest, in the yep. army. And uh, Pilsen, Kansas, huge, booming metropolis of 22 homes, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. Which is where he was the priest, but... He baptized her family. They knew him. He was just this kind oh, of wow. amazing man. And then he went off and joined the uh, military armed services as a chaplain and then went on to live this kind of heroic life. And so that's Capon. Uh, he, uh, or Capon, or Capon, I don't know how to pronounce, but Capone. He, Capone. He, it's just an amazing thing. Like, just Google this guy and look at these photos. But he is known as the plain spoken, pipe smoking, bike riding chaplain who was credited with saving hundreds of soldiers during the Korean War. Wow. Pretty sweet. And so basically what happened was, um, and, and he is like a legend now in, in, uh, in, in the Pilsen area, but what happened was, let's see here now, in 1944, he became an army chaplain, served two years on the India-Burma border, and then returned to the military in 1948 
for his second stint, and he died in captivity at the age of 35 years old. Wow. So this guy was a young stud. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was this kind of really strong, impressive farm boy uh, from Kansas. I think he did his uh, studies at Catholic University in D.C. And he came back as a diocesan priest of, I guess it would be Wichita. Sorry if that's wrong. But mm. I think Pilsen would be in that diocese. And uh, then went over and did his service. And, and basically what happened was he just became kind of renowned as this guy who was just heroic in the fields. He would um, he would kind of... Uh, he was just leading the charges as a chaplain and as a, uh, kind of doing medical work as well. He was leading charges? Yeah, he was running out there with the boys. No way. Yeah, it's crazy. So um, they described him as um, the bravest man they've ever known and the best foot soldier they've ever known. A humble guy with a wry sense of humor. This is funny. He would pray to St. Dismas, the good thief. Yeah, the good thief. Right? Before he f- he went into sheds and fields and he would steal peaches and other food to feed these kind of starving soldiers. <laughs> so he was famous for kind of um, never getting his food. Like the, the only complaint they compiled against this guy was the doctors all hated him because he would take his food and he'd give it to the other guys. Right. And so I guess there was this, um, battle. I'm trying to figure out which one it was exactly, but, um, they were in, um, in Korea and this battle was, was happening. And, uh, basically what happened was the army retreated and he decided to stay with the men in the field with the wounded, with the mm-hmm. kind of ones who were trapped, and then was taken into captivity. Right. And suffered for six months um, in kind of unbelievably horrible conditions within this um, Korean prisoner camp, uh, where he eventually died after about six months from pneumonia and from all kinds of different things. Do we know stories of him from when he was in camp? Well, they talk about it a little bit in this article. Um, but basically, it was just like, he just always was a chaplain. And I think this is what's cool, is like... Um, he, he just, the essence of the priesthood is just so reduced down, but the man is just purified to this, this kind of complete constant self-emptying love. Mm. So he's dying, but as he's dying, he's giving his food away to these guys kind of constantly. He's caring for them. He's doing everything he can to kind of just provide and take care of everyone until literally he had just nothing left, no strength left. That's beautiful. And so it's interesting because it's not like, um, his heroism was was really simple. It was just the kind of pure, small, kind of constant things. But the men who he served with, and uh, he just received the Medal of Honor on April 11th. Right, that's what kind of brought all this stuff to that's the fore. That's what just brought all this to the fore. But he, they're talking about kind of his, the way that he was living his life and these different things. And I thought to myself, it's just like, he just had this tremendous capacity to suffer. And he was just doing very simple things to provide for the other people. Mm-hmm. Never complaining, no, nothing, just constantly doing what he had to do to look after the other guys. Complete, complete selfless love. It's amazing how, I mean, although the conditions were kind of extraordinary, the things he was doing were kind of menial things, just like giving up his food and, you know, staying with the wounded. I guess that's pretty heroic, especially when an army's coming at you. But, uh, you know, the, 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 in the small things was this, this guy's heroism, heroism and virtue was like manifested, which is kind of sweet. It is. And it's just keeping the morale of the guys. Um, and so, the reason I'm thinking about this and wanted to do one on this is because, you know, what is the role of the priest, especially as the chaplain in the midst of war? I mean, his fundamental task was to give them hope constantly. He was just this kind of witness of of hope um, day in and day out, just keeping the morale of the men up, mm-hmm. not kind of not giving into despair, not griping, not complaining in, in the most torturous and horrible situation while, while men are just dying all the time. Right. And so it's interesting. It's like we live yeah. in a world now and priests we get caught up in this where it's like 
if you're doing good, you have to alleviate the problem, fix the situation. Right. As men, you know, that's, that's how we define ourselves. Mm -hmm. We we come in, we fix the problem, make a difference, make a difference. And he wasn't really trying to do that. He was just, um, he was just kind of caring for the men doing the little things and just being simple and heroic and just bringing hope. And, um, I just contrast that with our understanding of heroism, of heroism. I keep saying heroism, uh, isn't it called heroism? I don't know. It sounds like heroin. That's what I was saying. Like, it does sound like heroin. He wasn't doing heroin. <laughs> the, um, but his heroism, heroism was just these kind of small, subtle things. And, and maybe it's because I live in, in Boulder where everything is um, – everything's on a large scale, right? We're going we're gonna to cure Africa of AIDS. Hmm. Come to this benefit, you know, right. this program. I'm talking to Becca Messel, one of our students up here who uh, told me she does not listen to the podcast. But she will be because she's going to Ecuador And we had an interesting conversation about this kind of secular, how does secular organizations work versus kind of church organizations. And the difference is like the secular organizations are trying to just eliminate all the problems, fix everything. We're going to build the infrastructure. We're going to build everything. We're going to get you to be good capitalist Americans. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Basically. It's not a bad thing to fix problems. No, it's not. It's it's good, but it's it's different than the church's work. And I think the church can't try and do secular humanitarianism the church has to always be back to it's the corporate works of mercy Mm. i look at mother Teresa's life and it was like was she trying to build sustainability right was she trying to eliminate poverty eliminate poverty no she just knew what she had to do she received it from and given the circumstances she just did the small things but she did it heroically you know which is beautiful because she was she was serving the poor becoming poor uh, in order to encounter Christ in the poor. Right. You know, like she loved the people that she encountered because she loved Christ. Right. And it's not like she loved Christ and didn't love the people and they were just, but she loved them both. But Christ was at the heart of everything she was doing. And same with this guy. I mean, why, what was behind this? Was he just, was he, he didn't have this mindset of like, you know, like you said, fixing all the problems, improving all these conditions, but he was like, I'm going to love these men and encounter Christ. In that. And that's the difference I think between the philanthropist who can like look out in the world and be like, I love all of humanity and love the poor. But you know, hates the guy who lives next door to him. You know, right? Uh, then the then the saint who can do a lot of wonderful things, but the difference is with great love, right? And that was Teresa's whole thing. You know, doing small things with great love. Who Teresa? That was her. That's why she took the name Teresa. You know, like Josh Mayer, our friend, who we call the Big Flower. The Big Flower. Because he does, does great things with little with love. Little love. <laughs> just joking, Josh. The, uh, but I think that's true, and I, that is kind of the, that's the rhythm of the of the saintly life. Is just it's. God might be calling you to do extraordinary things. You look at the way that John Paul II brought hope to the world, but then you look at the way that Father Emil did. And what's cool is because this guy could be canonized someday, but the only reason we know about him is because, I mean, the only reason you and I know about him is because he got the Congressional Medal of Honor, um, and there, it's become on a large scale and on a big stage where he's been seen. But there are so many saints out there, like this man, who are living their lives through the menial daily humdrum thing, right. pouring themselves out selflessly in love for their neighbor right. uh, in love for Christ. And that's just really cool because what he did was heroic, um, but it wasn't a heroism that you can't find if you have the eyes to see them all around, kind of in the world around you, you know? Yeah, I mean, he dies, you know, you're trying to think about what was in his mind when he's dying in this camp in North Korea with only two men left. Everyone else had died. There's only these two guys left at his side. And you think to yourself, it's just like, well, he was just carrying and blessing them and forgiving the, you know, the Korean, um, you know, military officers who had him in prison, these different things. He wasn't thinking about himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just kind of giving hope. And that's just what's so amazing to me is this the kind of the 
radical selflessness that comes when you're free from trying to do great things. And even as Christians, so much of our life is trying to kind of impress the Lord. Look at what I'm yeah. doing for you. Look at how awesome point. I am. Look at how amazing everything is. And that's just not the saint. The saint the saint isn't the one who thinks less of himself. They just don't think about themselves. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the big thing. We have a false understanding of humility. Humility for Therese is just you living the truth. It's transparency. And that's what he embodied. And that's what shocked these guys. But it's interesting that you have two things going on. He receives the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest award possible for, for you know, Milton heroism. Service, yeah. yeah. And then he's his cause was opened in 1993. Oh, really? Before this? Yep. So he is a servant of God, um, Father Emil Capon. And uh, he is, uh, I hope we're pronouncing his name right. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I should know this. It's Czech. Um, but it's, uh, there's two miracles that are like possibly out there right now. Oh, really? Yeah. So that we're, it's kind of, you know, cause you need two miracles to be, um, canonized. And so he's, uh, but the, there's two that are documented that have happened in the last couple of years. So we're kind of excited oh, to see if they're going to be kind of recognized, but he's well on his way. That'd be sweet. And he was born in America, born in America. So he'd be a full fledged American saint. If that yeah, happened, which we need. And I want, I was thinking, I was like, how many saints do we have from the Western United States? You know what I mean? We'll take Kansas in the West. Yeah. Yep. Midwest, you know, Midwest, something like West that. West is in there. Yeah, born in Pills in Kansas, 1916. So he is a he's an American man. That's sweet. I don't think we have any. I mean, we have like Mother Cabrini was out here, right? Uh, you know, you have Blessed Unipiro Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. I don't even know how to say his name, but he's blessed. But besides that, I can't think of any. Yeah. So it looks like um, the so these two possible miracles. There's one in uh, 2008, um, and um, we're kind of hoping that it. Uh, Oh, wait, let me actually. No, the cause for saying it was opened in 2008. I thought I read 93. Well, hopefully we have someone who listens who's from Pills. And who can, I can't believe we actually said something that's not true. On the I know, podcast. who actually, all these different things. So here's the first um, possible alleged miraculous event. Uh, 20-year-old Chase Kern, who survives a severe head injury last year. This is this was written in 2011. And his family compl- uh, claimed that by petitioning the intercession of Father Meal, um, he was miraculously healed from all of his head um, his healing, despite the fact that he was near death, and the uh, judicial vicar, Father Holtz from so it is diocese of Wichita, is kind of assisting on this investigation. So that's number one. That's cool. We got this one guy, Chase. Thanks a lot, Chase, for getting. It. And then in 2011, another one happened. A guy named Nick Delasega collapsed at a 5K race in Pittsburgh. It looks like Pittsburgh, Kansas, and. Um, it turns out just a number of different things happened, but there was a specific intercession uh, that happened to Father Milo by his family, and then he just kind of miraculously healed. No way. Now, I'll tell you something, Joe, yeah. and this is going to show how absolutely unholy I am because I'm telling you this. Sure. But miracles happen a lot. Healings happen a lot. Okay? Really? I have only done seven anointings in two years. Okay. I barely know how to say the formula. I freak out. I drop the oils actually all the time because I'm like, how do you get the oil on your fingers and then hold the little, you know, little cotton oil ball. container and the cotton? I forgot my cotton balls and like, uh, I, I'm so bad at anointings. I mean, just very, very bad. Right. But last week, the second person was healed. Right. Healed in what way? Healed from the anointing. Well, I mean, like what from happened? From the sacrament. She was going in for surgery the next day. This was on Tuesday night. I anointed her, and Wednesday she went in for the surgery, and they did uh, tests in advance, and they said. 
everything's healed. You have no need to, you have no need to return. We no need for the surgery. And she came up to me on Sunday with tears in her eyes. And I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) The sacrament actually works. (laughs) And it even works where the priest has no freaking idea what he's even doing. I mean, it was like, talk about the most botched, um, uh, anointing possible, but the Lord just like heals me. That's, that's really sweet. So I was like, dang it. I should have prayed for father Emilio Capon. And oh, that's right. Dude. You would have been on it. I know, man. That's right. You would have done great things. So for Saudi, I would have done great things with little love, man. <laughs> so for Saudi and father meal, these are our projects. Yeah. Pray so for you, these guys. So pray when, through these guys intercession. Yeah. So when you, when you do, um, when you're praying for healing, which I think is really powerful when it's done from a place of hope, hmm. when you do it from a place of presumption, you know, presuming on the Lord's mercy, um, it just it just doesn't work. But real theological hope, like when that when that when we embody that, like these things happen, and the Lord wants to do kind of great things in the midst of that. But yeah. He wants He does He doesn't want it to puff up pride like He does with this priest here or something. What is the difference between presumption and real theological hope? Well, like what does that look like? That's coming out of a. I always wonder which of this makes it into the podcast because um, basically this podcast is just musings on our life. But in January, we had a real tragic um, death. We had a girl who committed suicide. She had graduated and she moved back home. And I had to give a homily basically at a memorial service to all of her friends. It was mm-hmm. a packed church. It was a candlelight mass. And it was one of the most difficult ones I've had to do. But what I tried to encourage them was the presumption that is normal when we deal with death and, and pain and suffering, um, it just doesn't satisfy. Just saying she's in heaven, it doesn't satisfy. Saying she's in hell, doesn't satisfy. Right. But hope is something very different. Hope is where we take kind of our judgment and our understanding of everything and we kind of just surrender it into the Trinitarian Mystery. gift. Yeah. And, and, and the Trinitarian promise, which is that providence is at work and that things are real. Hmm. And there's a freedom that comes in that surrender of one's judgment I think regarding um, the things that are beyond us, that transcend us, right. that um, elicits something that's deeper. That surrender is the cause and allows us to have authentic hope, which is I can hope that every person I anoint will be miraculously healed hmm. and that it'll all be through Father Emilio Capon's you know, intercession or whatever it might be. Right. But that's different than any sense of presumption whatsoever, hmm. any sense of expectation or lack of expectation. I think for Catholics... We're on the opposite side. We presume that it won't happen, yeah, because God doesn't do those things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think non-Catholics a lot of times presume on the other side that they've got all <laughs> they've got the power, you know, yeah. But it just when we're humble and it's not about us and we're just these instruments that aren't thinking about ourselves, then God can do these kind of amazing things. That's so cool. Yeah, healing. It's true. I just heard a story about healing the other day. My uh, well, this happened a couple years ago, I guess. But my sister-in-law, uh, David's wife, Jen. They hadn't been able to have kids for like 12 years. They had their first one right away and adopted a few kids. And um, she went, speaking about presumption and hope, uh, she was at Steubenville. And my sister in law, my sister Alicia, brought her to see Father Mike Scanlon and be like, hey, you know, would you be open to have Father Mike pray for you? Another, for another saint. Exactly. And so she went there and uh, Father Mike just, they went to the friary and Father Mike just said a little prayer for her, uh, that the Lord bless her with children, you know. and. Um, and she had a beautiful attitude. Alicia was just sharing with us. My sister, Alicia, was just sharing this with me this past weekend. But she had a beautiful attitude of just like she wasn't desperate for children, like the Lord has to do this. or she. Uh, but she was just like he asked her, why do you want more children? And he just she just said, you know, if I can bring another child in this world to glorify God, you know, I want to be open to doing that. And, and, uh, and she said afterwards she didn't really expect – I mean, she's 12 years. She's had surgeries, whatever. Um, she didn't really expect anything to happen. 
And then sure enough, like a month or two later, Immaculate Conception. <laughs> the Immaculate Conception. And now, and then now they, she's, uh, she's just had her second child since then too. Wow. So, uh, she's like, tell father, tell father Scanlon to stop praying for more children. Yeah, no she's like, I can't do anymore. But, um, but yeah, it's just beautiful. It happens all the time. And yeah. we just, you know, we just don't hear about it all the time, but yeah. So the, so what does it take to cultivate uh, a deeper sense of the miraculous, uh, a capacity to be God's instrument and a capacity to be, I think it's just the, the realizing that it's, it's not about the miraculous things. It's about the simple things, you know, he gives his food to this mm-hmm. guy. And I, I just, I'm, a, I'm astonished by just, again, another example of that Teresian way being a very, very manly guy. Right. You know what I mean? In a soldier. And that's just really good for us because a lot of times little way looks kind of lame for men, let's be honest. We did that Little Way podcast, I think, with Andy way back in the day. Right. But um, this is an example of just how it, it takes a very masculine form, but in its essence is the same thing as Mother Teresa of St. Therese, which is little things with great love. We have no books that he's published. We have we don't even have a quote of anything he said. No right? way. It's just memories from two soldiers who were at his side when he died. We have no idea what he did in World War II, in the other battles he was in. We have nothing. We have no wow. homilies. We have no idea, except in Pilsen, this tiny town, where they remember his memory because they know of his heroic love, and every kid knows about him there. That's so cool. But this is these are the these are the people that transform the world. Mm-hmm. It's not the great political leaders or even the great military leaders, but it's this the small things that God rewards and sacrifices always fruitful in the Christian life. And I think that's the message for today. There you go. Preach it, brother. That's all I got. Well, we'll see you guys next week. And see any more week. thoughts, suggestions, insults, comments, whatever, we will take them. Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com see you next week